And now it is my pleasure to introduce our inspirational speaker, who's also our senior pastor and the spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you, Reverend Kathleen. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. And so, uh, as we typically begin, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, to sing a song with me. Some like to stand while we sing the song, and if you're here for the first time, it's all optional, so stay seated and just relax. <clears throat> but if you'd like to join me in this uh, song and prayer, feel free. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room so I invite you to know with me, let us know and remember that our word is a prayer, always. And so with that in mind this day, my word expresses the highest of possibilities for myself, and I invite you to share this with me. This one life, there's one source of all life. It is in and through and as all of life, in and through and as you and I. And what that represents is oneness. There is no separation. And so standing in that oneness, I declare and impress upon this infinite law with my word, the highest and best, for ourselves, for one another, for our planet, for the ideas and the genius that continues to emerge on this planet, for the transformation individually and collectively of consciousness. For consciousness is the only thing that shifts and changes affect the, the state of form. And so today we come together to be open and pliable and receptive permeable to the new idea, to the new consciousness, giving it birth, celebrating and knowing it, the highest and best for each and every one of us is already complete in the mind of the one. And we simply need to open ourselves in a new and wonderful way and surrender to that idea. And so we are not alone in this. We are supported in every good way. And I give thanks this day for the opportunity to share this teaching, to stand tall with you and to understand who I am and whose I am. And so I give thanks this day, knowing that every good thing is already in place and expressed here and now through song, through word, through fellowship, and through the vibration of the Most High as we stand together in this beautiful, beautiful vibration. For this I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me as I release this in gratitude, and so it is. Thank you. Please be seated. So sweet um, to have... Natasha here with us. I remember when I first came and many of our ministers and practitioners were involved with <clears throat> her mother's experience with her health. And so it's quite, it's quite lovely to be here with her and uh, celebrate her, celebrating her mom's legacy here as well. So thank you for sharing your song. All right. 
Let me just grab my, my notes here. So it is Mother's Day. And, you know, for us as a, as a group of, of metaphysicians and on this path together, you know, why are we here? I think it's an important question to ask every day. What's my purpose? Why am I here? What's the goal? What are we doing here? What's the, what's the, the truth about this? And, and, and part of it is I, I've been reading, I've probably read about 500 pages this week in a variety of different sources. I'm actually reading a book right now about President Obama and his choices that he made prior to, to running for president. And it's quite fascinating. But he said one of the things that was really key for him is the, the, the perfection of our nature. And I think we're here for the perfection of our nature. And it was very fascinating because you, you see, when you look with the eyes of, of from our, the perspective of what we teach, that it's all God and it's all consciousness expressing itself. So he came along expressing a new idea, a new consciousness, that thing, enough things had happened all of a sudden that enough people were open to the possibility of a new idea. And I think that's true for us in our own lives. And so we've been using the book, The, the Fifth Agreement, which is a wonderful book. I was just visiting with Barry on his way in uh, uh, to the sanctuary for the service, and he was talking about reading this. And it's just a wonderful book. And, it, and the four agreements came out several years ago. This is the fifth agreement, which the consciousness at the time wasn't ready for, and it is now. And of course, last week talked about the first agreement, which is to be impeccable with your word. Our word activates the law. Pretty simple stuff. We know that. And yet it's very challenging for us because, as he said, in the book he also talks about the dream of the first agreement and the dream of the second agreement. The dream of the first agreement is that we're born into race consciousness. We're born into the cultural conditioning of the world. And what that cultural conditioning represents is the consciousness of victim. It's the, first, it's the first realm. And so we see it in our, we can see it in our own lives, but we see it out in the world all the time. That it's very easy to fall into the trap of victim. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, good or bad, because many people are having that experience. It's just, it's an it's a, a agreement we all, we all buy into. And today we move into the second agreement, which is don't take anything personal. The meaning of the second agreement is profoundly clear. This agreement gives you immunity in the interaction you have with the secondary characters in your life. You don't have to concern yourself with other people's points of view. So once we step into that and realize that what people think of us is none of our business, it just it creates a whole other opportunity for us. Once you, can set that, once you can see that nothing others say or do is, is about you, it doesn't matter who gossips about you, who blames you, who rejects you? Who disagrees with your point of view? All the gossip doesn't affect you. You don't even bother to defend your point of view. You just let the dogs bark. And surely they will bark and bark and bark. In fact, when I was living in Southern California, I had a father-in-law that we had a barking dog in our neighborhood, and he decided to gather all the neighbors, and it was the anti-barking dog. He really got a, he got a group of people together. The dog still barked, but at least he got a group of people together. So whatever people say doesn't affect you because you are immune to the opinion of their emotional poison. You are immune from the predators, the ones who use gossip to hurt other people, the ones who want to use other people to hurt themselves. What he says in the book is that when we use our word to hurt another and to blame another, we're really just hurting ourselves. It's a, it's a concept of oneness. And so I, I came across a, uh, an article. I've been doing one of the, the books I've been reading is a book by John Bradshaw. And Bradshaw was, uh, has, run, has written some, some wonderful things. He's actually a fellow Minnesotan, which I guess is one of the reasons why I, I didn't realize it until I was reading this book. But in, in Bradshaw's book, he talks about character. 
And I think it's, it's important for us to, to remind ourselves why we're here. I think it's to talk to the highest possibility and to use the words effectively so when we come together, we can really look to the future. You know, the teacher Jesus said that we cannot plow the field straight if we keep looking over our shoulder. What's done is done. And so it's important for us to take those memories and those experiences but realize to not let it color our future experience. And Bradshaw says this about character. Character is who we are and what we believe in as expressed in our actions and how we live consistently from day to day. Character is the most enduring form in which our moral energy is channeled. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus said that the character is fate. The implication of his statement is that once our character is fully formed, it marks the boundaries of our destiny. There is unquestionably something mysterious about each person's character. Even if we live quietly without great public achievements, character is the unique manner in which we actualize our values. No one is exactly like anyone else. Character is the mystery, and it is individual. So we all do it differently. But what he said is there's three things that that, that great, people of great character have three things in common. People of great character have three things in common. Number one, they're optimistic. And they have an undiluted moral energy that does not waver in the face of fear or adversity. They have the virtue of courage. The virtue of courage. Number two, self-discipline energized by willpower. They have the virtue of temperance. So there's a, there's a way to manage their impulses. This is what Don Miguel Ruiz is talking about. Part of the antidote to learning how to be impeccable with our word, the antidote in terms of taking nothing personally is to have the, the ability, the awareness. Awareness is the antidote. And number three, commitment to a core set of moral values that govern their style of living. These values are guarded by guilt and moved by the virtue of purpose. Now, guilt, not in the sense of, because I know many of us want to put down the guilt, but to understand that when we start to move into that realm, we start to compromise, compromise our values, we, we get a reminder, and it's typically that this doesn't line up with what I stand for, and we can bring ourselves back. It's not that guilt's a good or bad thing, it's just another tool in our lives. Most of us, my, most of my adult life, I, I lived in guilt. And it is through spiritual practice, it's through the ability to, to have these experiences that have allowed me over time to filter that and to realize so that, that, that I'm able to stand in as much courage as I can muster each week and share something of value with you. If you come here and there's nothing of value, if there's nothing that sparks something in you, if there's something that doesn't shift or change for you when you're here, if you don't leave here more inspired than when you walked in, then we're not doing what, what we're, we should be doing here. And so for myself... I was reading a, another part of Bradshaw's book this week. talked about John Denver was doing a, um, a benefit for a group of people that were... It was back in the 90s, the early 1990s, and he was doing a benefit for a very small group of donors. They were putting together a plan to, to be more uh, user-friendly of the planet when that movement was, was in its infancy. And so John Denver was asked to do a benefit. And he said the interesting thing about John Denver was that he spent three hours prior to the concert preparing checking the sound, rehearsing every song he was going to perform, which I thought was quite interesting. You'd think a guy like John Denver, who's a Grammy Award winner and, and you know, just a phenomenal artist, but he spent those three hours preparing himself. And it really hit home to me the, the importance of when you join us on a Sunday, have I done everything I can to prepare my consciousness so I can share something of value for you? That is my commitment to myself and to this community. And so how can we apply that in our own lives? 
So, and I love the, 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 uh, the, the, the fifth agreement here, this book. Just such a wonderful book because we need roadmaps. We need things that can bring us back. For men, it's Mother's Day. For us, the way we interpret Mother's Day is that divine feminine energy. You know, my mom, when I think about my mom, and one of the things I inspired about what this, this means for me in terms of what character is, is my mother instilled these values in us as children. But we never had discussion around these things. We never sat down, but she modeled all this. I'll never forget as a kid one time, I found a wallet. I didn't even know what a quarter and a nickel was. I was probably three years old. I found a wallet. And so I thought, cool. I got a wallet. And it's full of money. There's probably 25, 30 bucks in the wallet. And I didn't know how to count yet. So what I was doing is I'd, I'd take a, a, a coin out of different size and I'd go down and I'd say, Mom, how much is this? And she'd say, it's 25 cents. And I'd, I'd go back upstairs and I'd put that back in and then I'd pu- pull out a dime and I'd say, Mom, how much is this? And, and pretty soon she, and then I'm bringing the bills down. And she says, are you in my wallet? I said, no, 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 no. And uh, she found out what I had done. I'd found this wallet. Couldn't read, couldn't count. But I knew that money was valuable. So her pattern was she'd get the ping pong paddle out and then she would lean me over the bathtub and she'd, she would give me the, uh, the spanking and then we returned, we went over and I, she had me return the wallet to our neighbor who had dropped it out of her purse on the way home. And it, good or bad, right or wrong, that was the tools she had. Listen, I have great love and appreciation for my mom who's still going strong. She's 87 years old. I sent her flowers. I love her dearly. I mean, 11 kids? My gosh, I'm surprised she can still speak English. In fact, I was reading the article in Bradshaw's book about spanking. The reason that we spank children is because we get frustrated. We get angry. There's no reason to spank a kid. This is going to improve their behavior. And in fact, if you spank a child enough, it restricts their, their, their growth and development. It shuts them down. And I just thank God there were so many of us. I think my, arm, my mom's arm got tired. There's 11 of us. So, you know, I I'm appreci- appreciate all of them. We wore her down. It, it was interesting to watch how my mom and dad parented with the first and then the last. It was like when the 11th one came through, it was like, yeah, whatever, go ahead, go ahead. It just wasn't there. But my mother instilled these qualities. And I look back and that's part of her legacy. I'm part of her legacy. And one of the things that inspired me about why I wanted to find, follow this teaching is when I started having kids, I wanted to parent in a different way. And I needed a vocabulary. I needed something that was grounded in a bit more information and wisdom. Not that her tradition wasn't wonderful and perfect, and it still is. But I just needed more to chew on, and I needed another way to look at it. I needed a vocabulary to be able to deal with conflict. Because the only way we deal with conflict in my family, my family of origin, was through, was through physical force and fear and intimidation. And what I realized is that helped me master that. That was part of my curriculum that brought me here with you. And so I can look back now that I've done enough work and built the spiritual, the spiritual uh, endurance to be able to look back and honor what it was because it was right and perfect at the time. It was a shift and change in consciousness. We have an opportunity now to give birth to a new consciousness like never before. It's not even an option anymore. We have to do the work. And so don't take things personally as the meaning of the second agreement is profoundly clear. The agreement gives you immunity in the interaction you have with secondary characters in your life. You don't have to concern yourself with other people's points of view. You just let the dogs bark, and surely they will bark and bark and bark. So what? Because what happens with that, all they're saying to me is, I'm in that first first dream. I'm in that first agreement, which is victim. It's the only reason to point fingers and blame other people. We're just blaming ourselves. If there's no private good, then there's no private criticism. It is criticism of ourselves. As they say many times, my kids have pointed out, if I'm pointing the finger there, I've got three coming right back at me. But this is how it works. So how can we bring awareness to it? 
How do we help shift and change it? And we need the tools. We have to have tools, and I think we need benevolent uh, guides. My most powerful, wonderful teachers in this movement have been female. I think that females, the female energy is more susceptible to stepping into the nurturing, unconditional love of spirit. For men, for most of us guys, we weren't, we weren't encouraged to be unconditionally loving. What I was told as a kid was, if I was crying, my mother would say, stop crying. And if I didn't stop crying, she'd say, if you don't stop crying immediately, I'll give you something to cry about. And so you, you're sort of learned at an early age that to feel anything. And of course, when you're a kid, you cry about at the drop of a hat. But, you know, but, but you're taught that that stuff doesn't, doesn't work. It's not effective. It's not appropriate. And, and this has come up in, in one of our classes the other night. Someone said to me, um, you know, when you don't have a toolbox to get out of the emotions, it's very difficult. It's very intimidating. And I thought, what a great point. I've done so much of this work, and I know if I'm really struggling, I call a practitioner, I get some prayer help. Our prayer work is transformational. Our prayer work is phenomenal. One of the great joys I have, you know, when I look around, I, for me, it's always looking around and celebrating the great things that are working here. And one of the things that we've done over the last few years is I've been able to team teach with various ministers here in a practitioner class, which is a wonderful experience. And I've done it with Reverend Catherine Cardinal, and I'm now doing it with Reverend Kathleen. And the joy, and the, and the, the joy that I feel and the appreciation to watch everyone, including myself, mature and share insight and wisdom, and, because you don't really know this teaching until you start teaching it. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of a progression, but boy, once you start teaching it, you really, it's quite surprising sometimes. You go, wow, I really do understand this stuff. And then it's to take it from the head to the heart and own it and live from it more and more and more. And it's gradual, it's sequential, it's inevitable. I was talking to Dan. He, he gave me permission to use his name, but he was telling me a story. Dan is playing the drums for us. And he said, you know, one of the great things about our community is I walked around here upset and angry and blaming and shaming for a long time. And to a person, every time we, I would express that, people would meet, meet with me, pray with me, we'd be in classes, whatever it was, and Dan was and fully immersed. I mean, one thing Dan did was he stayed engaged. He just said, man, I'm, I'm getting through this or not, but I'm not, I'm not leaving. And he said that it took him a while, but all of a sudden he realized how important it was to just be in an environment where everyone said, it's okay, you can be mad, you can be mad, you can be upset, you can keep blaming, it's okay, we still love you, we still love you, which is what we do here. We realize we, we come from this environment of, of blame and shame from the idea of victim. And then over time, we're all going to get there. We're all going to get there. It's just a matter of when, sooner or later. And we all have our stories, and they're wonderful stories, they're great stories. I could look back at my childhood with my parents and tell you how awful it was, and they never hugged me, and they were just kind of Or I can look at it and say, wow, what great parents. What great parents. Because they were really wonderful people. They still are. My dad's not with us anymore, but I still love him. And I see those pe- good people doing the best they could. We're good people here doing the best we can. And that's enough. It's enough this day. And we need to honor that. We need to be able to look at our lives and just say, man, what a ride. And to be able to step back and not constantly react and form opinions and judgment about that, but that's the spiritual practice. Like Dan said to me in the, between services, he said, you know, I used to spend time announcing. Because you can understand this teaching, but it's, it shows up in your life. When you're living it, it shows up in a different way, and you show up in a different way. And then you realize it's all God and it's all good. Whatever's happening is all God and it's all good. 
When I do my preparation, my prayer is to be guided and led to the right and perfect ideas. Last night, my talk was totally different. And then I go into the, I go, I sleep and I wake up and there's all these dreams. I always say, Spirit, guide me in this. What is my purpose here? Why am I here and what is my purpose? And so for me, that's easy for me to do. I don't have to say, God, what is your purpose? And figure it out for you. Because that's not what we do. We let everybody have their own experience. And unless you have the awareness, when you get into a class with us, it's not about, about us imposing upon you what you need to think. But it's suggesting there might be a different way to approach it, which is what I'm doing today with you. So I have a wonderful story I want to share with you about this because we need tools and we need wise mentors in our lives. And this comes out of John Bradshaw's book, and I just think it's a wonderful companion to what we're talking about. Take nothing personal. Be impeccable with your words. First two agreements. Take nothing personal. He says, a man about 80 pounds overweight entered. This is from Milton Erickson. He said, one of the the finest therapists that's probably ever walked the planet. And Milton, Milton had this experience. He says, a man about 80 pounds overweight entered my office and said, I'm a retired policeman, medically retired. I drink too much. I smoke too much and I eat too much. So he's got his three spiritual practices going for him right now. I have emphysema and high blood pressure, and I, I, I like to jog, but I can't. And the best I can do is walk. Can you help me? And so what do we think as practitioners, as counselors? You know, well, this isn't honoring the divine self. This isn't, you know, why are you drinking? Let's get to the core, uh, the core reasons for this. I mean, our intellect will go there. Don Miguel calls this the, 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 the knowledge, the mind of the knowledge, which always wants to put everything in a box and always understand it. See, that's a challenge for us. We understand the teaching, and then we've got to just surrender all of it and say, I don't know anything. There's an in, but, but I am in co-creation. It's, it's a whole other level of being because all of a sudden you realize, I just surrender. I just surrender. A lot of times when there's so much going on around here, the practice I use, I surrender to the power and presence of God within me because it always works out. It always works out. It might not work out the way I think it's going to work out, but it always works out, and then I have to celebrate it when it shows up. So no, he doesn't go there. He says, <clears throat> he says to him, all right, where do you buy your cigarettes? And the guy says, well, there's a handy little grocery store around the corner from where I live. And how do you buy your grocery... Your, your, um, and how about, and how do you buy your cigarettes? I'm sorry. Well, usually there's three, I buy them three cartons at a time. And I said, who does your cooking? He said, I'm a bachelor. I usually do my own. And where do you shop? He replied, at a handy little grocery store around the corner. And where do you eat out when you don't do your own cooking? At a very nice restaurant also around the corner. And I said, now your liquor. Where do you get your liquor? He said, well, there's a handy little liquor store around the corner also. So this guy's got everything around the corner. And so Dr. Erickson said to him, Now, your therapy isn't going to require much. He said, you can do all the smoking you want. Isn't that nice? Do we help stop smoking? Do you get permission to just keep smoking? I had a woman come to me, one of the first clients I ever had in this teaching. And she said, I need you to tell me to stop smoking. I said, I'm not going to do that. Smoke them if you got them. She said, what? I said, I'm not the smoking police. We don't do that here. You You want to smoke cigarettes? Smoke them. Keep smoking and smoking and smoking until you're done with it. Have your full experience with smoking. And she didn't like that. But anyway. <laughs> See, I don't, you don't have to, this is an easy job. You don't have to fix anybody. You like smoking smoke. You can do all the smoking you want. Buy your cigarettes one package at a time by walking to the other side of town to get the package. Does that not make sense? I need cigarettes. Oh, I've got to walk six miles. Okay. As for doing your own cooking, well, you, ha- well, you haven't much to do. Just shop three times a day. Buy enough for one meal but no leftovers. And as for dining out, there are a lot of good restaurants a mile or two away. That'll give you a chance to walk. As for your drinking, I see you have no objection to drinking. Don't you love this program? You can smoke and drink all you want. 
I see no objection to your drinking. There are some excellent bars a mile away. And you'll be in excellent shape before very long. He left the office swearing and cursing at me in the most eloquent fashion. (laughs) Now, why would I treat him that way? Well, he said, I understood he was a retired policeman, and he knew what discipline was, and it was entirely a matter of discipline, structure. About a month, a new patient came in and said, a friend of mine referred me to you. He said, really, who's that? He said, well, it's a retired policeman I know. (laughs) He said, you are the only psychiatrist who knows what he's talking about. (laughs) The ex-policeman's problems involved a lot of content, smoking, drinking, obesity, emphysema, and high blood pressure. What Dr. Erickson recognized was that the pattern of behavior that supported all of these problems was the same. And whatever the ex-policeman wanted, he obtained with the least expenditure of energy. Erickson didn't get speculative with him. He didn't discuss why he smoked or drank or overate. He knew the ex-policeman would have internalized and intellectualized justification for these behaviors. So it's not about talking ourselves out of it. It's just finding a more interesting idea that is more life-affirming. So Erickson didn't moralize or medicalize the man's problems or tell him he was killing himself. Instead, he built his therapeutic plan on the man's strengths. He utilized the ex-policeman's discipline background, his subculture, in a way that automatically moderated his intake of food, alcohol, and cigarettes and simultaneously gave him the exercise he needed to retune his body. This is a particular... This is practical reasoning as, at its best. So for us with, Dr., with Don Miguel Ruiz, how can we stop using our word against others and ourselves? Because we, we must be impeccable with our word. And how can we not take everything personally? It's through awareness. It's through spiritual practice. So what will happen for a while, it'll be new practice. It'll become uncomfortable because we'll catch ourselves doing it. Remember that no complaint zone and everybody had those wristbands? And if you, you found yourself complaining, you tried to do it for 21 days, no complaints, and then you'd switch to the opposite wrist. And I, ha- I wore it for a while, but I was, I, I, my, my hands were getting sore from changing it from hand to hand after a while. But the idea being that once you complain, you catch yourself, you put it on the other wrist, and then you go back and you recommit to the no complaint zone. No complaints. So how do we do that? Is it impossible for us? No, I don't think it's impossible. I think through spiritual practice... I think through awareness and through our commitment to our, who, who we are and whose we are, despite what appearances look like, we're ready to do this. We're ready to do this. And to step into our lives in a, in a new and wonderful way, but it requires the, the discipline and the structure. What's more precious to you? I want to leave you with this. This is, you know, it's Mother's Day. My legacy to my mother is to live the best life, to live the highest potential I can. And, and, and this, this whole community and this whole teaching has been such a gift in my life. I am so grateful. I'm going to tell you something. If my ride is over tomorrow, I'm going to look back and have nothing but gratitude and to live in that because it, for me, that is just the sweetness, the appreciation of all the great love that's come into my life and the work that I've done to bring the love into my life. You know, my teacher said to me one time, she said, that, I'll never forget this. When your teachers come along, my, my teacher was Reverend Catherine Yates. And Reverend Catherine said to me at one point in time, because I was going through a divorce and I was going through ministerial training, and my pattern had been to always show up and always give away part of myself so I could maintain relationships. And she said two things to me that one day I'll never forget. She said, are you done with pushy people? Are you done with pushy people? And I said, yeah, I am. Because she said, why be anywhere where you're not loved? Why be anywhere where you're not loved? 
And I never forgot that. And it is one of the mantras in my life. The other one that my wife Laura and I have is, are we still having fun? Because sometimes it gets really, really exciting around here. (laughs) Try making a significant decision for the best of this community in front of a thousand people. And 999 of them are making up stories about it based on nothing but an emotional reaction. Let's try it sometime. You think it takes courage? You bet it does. But you know what? I'm really proud of this teaching. I'm really proud of my teachers. When Reverend Catherine Yates, so the people that you want to pull close in your life, the ones that love you, the ones that work to your strengths, just like that doctor did for that man that had all those problems, he, he worked to his strengths. I just want to be surrounded by people that love me and share the vision. Because it's not that I have all the answers, but man, when you've got that energy going, it's fantastic. But if we keep looking back, Jesus said you can't plow the field straight if you keep looking over your shoulder. The past is dead. and He said that in one of his parables. It's dead. Bury the dead. Join me. One of the men said, well, I can't join you right now because I've got to go bury my dad. He said, your father's dead. Join me. Join me. Let's, and he's, what he's saying is let's look to the future. So Carolyn May says this to say, this very much tying in with what Don Miguel is saying, what Dr. Holmes had to say. Detachment, which is, is, is let people have their opinion. Detachment is a spiritual necessity. Because you cannot serve two realities simultaneously. You cannot be honest and dishonest at the same time. You cannot be married and single at the same time. Although I've watched a few of you try that. <laughs> you cannot forgive and remain bitter. You cannot truly let go and yet continue to hold on, and you cannot acknowledge the higher reality of a spiritual life and divine guidance, and yet do things or hold beliefs that defy your spiritual principles. You can't do it. So if you do that and you make a mistake, bring yourself back. Don't beat yourself up. Don't say it's impossible. I forgot again. Forget that. This whole thing, this whole transformation shift is about forgetting and coming back, forgetting and coming back, and learning how to love yourself and forgive yourself that you are lovable. Absolutely. And let your loveliness, see, we need to stand in our loveliness. We need to stand in the power of consciousness and understand that whatever needs to be given birth here, it has an opportunity by means of us, wherever we go, and then we become a gift wherever we are. And it's not about maintaining anything. It's not about structure. It's not about protecting our philosophy. It's about living our highest potential. You don't need this teaching to do that. But what I, I like is to have the roadmap. I need somebody to say to me, you know, next time you're getting angry or, or you're reaching an opinion about somebody that is just poison for you, Go walk a mile. Go walk a mile. Say, hmm, a mile later, I might not feel that way. What's the wisdom? What wants to happen here? Why is this stirring within me? So Carolyn May says, herein lies the cosmic battleground for the soul on matters of attachment. At the end of the day, and I think this is the question I want to leave you with, at the end of the day, what power is more seductive to you? What power is more seductive to you? Is it Earth's power the consciousness of victim, that house, that first awareness, or is it the divine? Is it spirits? I like the spirit. I love, I love to live in that and to have those moments of brilliance and pre- continue to prepare our consciousness and still be in the world. It doesn't mean we have to convert anybody. It doesn't mean you have to be judge and jury for anybody. It just means to live from that loveliness and understand whatever happens in our life is for us. What's there for me to know here? What's for me to, to share and express? Where can I help? Where can I be of service? We're here. This isn't about what's in it for me. What's in it from me? How can I share? How can I support so many people? All the gifts that I have had in my life, all the wonderful teachers. I want to honor their legacy of their commitment, giving their lives to a bigger idea. 
We're a small group here. I know I'm going a little long, but I wanted to share. I was reading yesterday on the internet that Michelle Obama went to a college. (laughs) And did a commencement speech. Uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff College is a black college for colored students. And and, uh, she spoke to these students, and there were 160 graduating. And that college was started right after the Civil War. There were seven students that started it. All students that had never, very few of them could read. And now some of these students have endured, slept in their cars to go through uh, portions of this to get into medical school. Just amazing stories of sacrifice. But she said, wouldn't those seven students be so proud of you today? So what are we doing here? If we're here to just simply have our, our needs met, we're here to give birth to consciousness, to live our best life, to li- live our highest potential. Then there's no difference. And it's to give birth to the consciousness so that the future generations can springboard off what we have done. It's never done. And so I'm beholden to that small group of people that came together in 1982 and said, let's have a community that believes in the unlimited possibilities. That's who I'm, that's who I'm accountable to and accountable to. And it's our opportunity to come together and celebrate that. On this Mother's Day, all of our mothers, whatever it was, whether you thought they were a good mom or find something good about it. If it was just she carried you for nine months, that's enough. Bless it and move on. Declare victory and move on. Quit looking back over your shoulder saying, Jesus, if I had a better mom, I could do better. That's insanity. It's just time for us to honor the legacy, to give birth to the consciousness, to live the highest potential that is possible for each and every one of us. That's why we're here. That is our purpose. And then the details of that will show up in our own lives. John, John Bradshaw said that he had a, a mystical experience where a voice came into his head because he was obsessed with making money. He was brought, brought up in, in extreme poverty, and it, money was the big issue. And the voice one day, he was on a, on a highway in Minnesota, and he said he heard this voice clearly, and it said, if you are doing what you are good at, the money will take care of itself. And he said the shift in him was amazing. He realized he was chasing. He just needed to allow himself to be loved and supported. So let's allow ourselves to be loved and supported this week. If you find yourself spinning in the story, go for a walk. Take a cold shower. Do something before you reach that conclusion. Start putting space between the response and the experience. Start there. Because the antidote for all this is awareness. So I honor your awareness. I support you in it. I just have such great appreciation for your willingness and your courage to stand in this with me. So it is. Thank you.